But over the last four weeks, I've been talking about spiritual warfare. And today, I want to conclude this series by in three different parts. First, I want to go over briefly what I've already covered, just as a refresher for those that were here and weren't here. And also, I want to show part two of this is how the devil has been defeated. We're talking about the armor and things, things like that. But I want to show what the Bible says about him being defeated. Because in some circles and churches, if you, gr- you didn't grow up in church, you might think that the devil is bigger than God. Because they talk so much about the devil and how the devil's going to get me and the devil's this, the devil's that, that all of a sudden we have this great big devil and this little tiny God, and it's so completely not right. Amen. It's so not right. It's not what the Bible teaches. So in part three, we're going to look at some examples of different battles that we might face, some ones that I've faced before, other people have faced before, and how to fight those specific battles, because there's a different way to fight in different situations, okay? So we're going to start with Highlights from the last four weeks, we looked at how our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against spirits. Our battle is against truth, the knowledge of evil versus the knowledge of God. Uh, The devil has methods that are not random. His methods, schemes, and strategies are well-organized, crafted trickery, but they're also predictable. You guys probably remember some of these points I made before. Um, He tries to influence us to live in unforgiveness, bitterness, and offense. Division, fighting, arguing, and complaining, and doubting what God says. Those are some of his main tactics, doubting what God says. The truth sets us free, right? So if you don't know the truth or you're not going to believe the truth, you're not going to experience freedom in that area of your life. So the devil doesn't want, want you to know that truth, so he wants to say, did God really say that, or God didn't mean that, or that was just for back in the disciples' days, or that was just for back when Jesus was on the earth. He doesn't really mean that today. That part of the, he's changed his mind now, because see, that was a different dispensation, and then all this kind of religious jargon they say, and it's all not true. He said it, and he meant it, and it's still the same today. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? He is the same. We also looked at, how the devil is looking for someone to devour. He shoots fiery arrows with words at us, and these words of deception, accusational thoughts, negative words, and thoughts and feelings, he shoots them at us. And if we're not aware of his devices, is aware of his tactics, we can be hit and not even know it. Just like, well, I'm just having a bad day, or I just woke up on the wrong side of the bed or something. Like, ah, it's probably not that. Amen? It's probably not that. Uh, his bullseye or main target is our soul, which is our mind, will, and our emotions. And he wants to influence how we think, feel, and behave. You might think the devil is limited just trying to tempt you to sin. Oh, that's, uh, that's probably lower on his level. I mean, that's part of it. But really, if he can influence how you think, influence what you believe, influence how you feel, you're going to sin a whole lot more by just those things than you will by just whatever. Because once you feel, you f- how many of you sin with your tongue when you're feeling irritated and agitated? You're feeling frustrated. You're feeling like, oh, I want to break something. Well, guess what? <laughs> he, can make you, he can influence you to feel that way. You're probably going to say something you shouldn't say. It's a lot easier to tame your tongue when you got your emotions tamed too, amen? So we've got to be aware that it's not just trying to tempt you to sin by doing these blatant acts of whatever. It's also trying to tempt how you think, how you feel, and how you behave. It's all of that. So then on top of that, he tries to make us feel guilty. He tries to make us feel condemned. He tries to make us feel ashamed, worthless, hopeless, oppressed, depressed, anxious, fearful, and tormented. And I bet you, if I had to do a a poll right now, we'd probably all say I can relate to all those at some point in my life because he does the same things he does to all of us. There's no temptation to seize you except what is common to man. It's common to man what we go through. 
But we don't have to stay in that fight. We don't have to stay in an ignorant place. We can stay in a freedom place where Christ is paid for and walk in those victorious things. But we have to recognize and discern what we're going through so we can, we can go to the Word and say, okay, here's what I'm going through. God, what do you want me to do with this and win this battle? So we also looked at how He is our enemy, accuser, slanderer, and oppressor, and He is a thief and a liar. Okay? And our responsibility part is we need to cast down every thought that is against the knowledge of God. We need to pay attention to the welfare of our inmost being. We need to keep and protect our peace. Above all, remember, said guard our hearts. We need to monitor what we're thinking about and dwelling on. And we need to know what we believe about our salvation. Those are just a recap of the last four weeks. So now I'm going to show you how the devil has been defeated. So if you have your foot stomping foot on or shoe on or whatever you want to do, uh, your shout, your hallelujah, your hanky you want to wave, whatever it is, we need to believe this. This can't just be a philosophy or a theory in our mind like I think it is. I don't really want to celebrate this because then the devil might get me. Well, then you don't really, you're not fully convinced yet. And faith is being fully convinced. I mean, you, we have to strengthen where we're weak, and we can't be walking around in life afraid of what the devil might do to us. We have more faith in the devil doing something bad to us than we have of God doing something good for us. And, uh, we, we, and it is because we have a natural tendency to fear. We just do. And we have to, the perfect love of Jesus has to flush out that fear that all of us battle with and struggle at times. So I want to show you, almost shared that water with you guys. Um, I want to show you how the devil is defeated. You know, people say, I read the last page of the book and I know we win. Yeah, that, that is true. But we won long before the last page of the book. Long before. It's, it's the end of Matthew, the end of Mark, end of John, end of Luke. We won right then. When Jesus won, we won. It's not when we die or anything else. We won already. The battle is already won. So the, it's important to know the devil is defeated right now. Okay? Uh, it's important to know the devil is an inferior power to God. The word of God says, Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So God is greater and our enemy is inferior. Okay? He's inferior. It's not the other way around. We, we think it in our mind that, well, God doesn't really care about this and God doesn't really care. No, he does care and he demonstrated with his own life and actions. Amen? So our enemy is not omnipresent like God is. He roams around. He walks to and fro throughout the earth looking for someone who he might devour. Okay? He's not everywhere at the same time. Inferior. Okay? Inferior. God doesn't have to walk anywhere. Amen? He just like thinks it and he's already there. Man, that's going to be fun. All of a sudden, no, no flying in 15 hours to go to Uganda or anything. All right. He's not, uh, in, the Word of God says that Jesus has already defeated the devil. I want to show you this in Hebrews 2, 14. This is from the Amplified Version. Therefore, since these his children share in flesh and blood the physical nature of mankind, he himself in a similar manner also shared in the same physical nature but without sin so that through so through experiencing death he might make powerless ineffective impotent him who had the power of death that is the devil he might already do it he already did it okay i would say i want to read it again okay therefore since these these his children share in flesh and blood in the physical nature of mankind, he himself in similar manner also shared in the same physical nature, but without sin. So that through 
experiencing death, he might make powerless, ineffective, and impotent him who had, 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 past tense, had the power of death, that is the devil. He doesn't have the power of death anymore. Jesus took the keys of death, hell, and the grave. Okay? He is defeated. So the phrase, he might make powerless in the Greek, is actually has a lot of meanings to this word. It means to render inoperative, to abolish, to make idle or inactive, to make of no effect, to annul, to bring to naught or bring to nothing. This is this devil that people are so afraid of. He's been brought to nothing. I, I know you're, you're, some of you might be braced yourself because you've been taught so much that the devil's going to get me. The devil's so big. He's been brought to nothing. Renard Bunky said he's a mouse in the corner with a megaphone. You know, he just does things to try to intimidate and scare when he's been defeated by our King Jesus. Amen? So he's been brought to nothing, to discharge or to sever, to separate from, to make completely inoperative or to put out of use. He's been put out to dry, put out to use. He's of no use anymore. Now, we're not going to talk about the devil and that we're talking to him. It's like when someone walks into the room, like kids walk in the room, and I say, I heard my name. I said, yeah, we're talking about you, not to you, so keep on walking. <laughs> so we can talk about the devil. We don't have to talk to the devil, amen? So Jesus' death and resurrection made the devil powerless, ineffective, impotent, and completely inoperative. And most of the church doesn't even know it. We walk around scared. We're, 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 we're scared that he might do this, he might do that. But Jesus has defeated the devil for us, amen? But we have to know how to enforce that victory uh, with our faith and with our words and what, what Jesus has already done. So let me, look at this, let me show you this, what Jesus did in Colossians 2, 14 and 15. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Notice it's all past tense. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it, or in the cross. All right, let me read it again. Because I want it to set in here. Having Jesus, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. Guys, when you don't understand what's been wiped away, we are empowering the devil back again for what Jesus already paid for. All that reliving and re-over-nasal gazing and all the belly, you know, belly staring or whatever, like internal searching of, oh, what's wrong with my heart and all that kind of stuff, he wiped it away already. And when we give it back to him, we focus on what we've done instead of focus on what Jesus did, we're empowering the devil all over again. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. It's not in the way between you and God anymore. It's not in the way. I might have to say it a hundred times, I don't know. It's not in the way. It's not in your way. Your sin is not in the way. Hallelujah. I might hear I'm saying it for me, I don't know, but I'm going to Your sin is not in the way anymore. Come on, somebody. He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. And having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle. He embarrassed them, triumphing over them in the cross. Amen. Inferior power, superior power. Jesus. 
So there's two parts I want to point out here. The requirements that were against us and that were contrary to us is referring to the law. Now, some people love the law, and there's nothing wrong with the law if one uses it properly. That's exactly what the Bible says, if one uses it properly. There's nothing wrong with the law, okay? It is still in effect for today, but it's in effect for those who are lost, those who are perishing, those that aren't born again. In the New Testament, the law has been replaced by the Holy Spirit. It's replaced by Christ, the Holy Spirit. I, I, I'm not going to have time to go into all this, but I'll show you a couple, I'll show you one verse, or two verses, actually. It says, Galatians 3, 24 and 25, Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. Okay? The tutor, the word tutor there means a guardian responsible for the care and discipline of the children. Okay? That was a tutor's job, to teach them and discipline them, make sure they're doing what they're supposed to do. Exactly what the law was intended to do, right? Okay, but after Jesus came, he he passed over from uh, the law monitoring us and tutoring us to Jesus now doing that. It's the Holy Spirit's job to do that. There's things that uh, that are not in the book of the law that the Holy Spirit would not let me do. Uh, They're they're never going to be read in there. And there's things that that are not even sinful things. Some of them, like uh, there's certain things I can't do. Like the best example I have is my friend, my pastor friend in Virginia. God told him one day when he was looking for a job, you can do whatever job you want, but you cannot do any, any job where you make money with your mouth because your mouth is set aside to me to preach. So for him, that was, he, he, he knew he heard God, so he couldn't be in sales. So he went into some carpentry type stuff. Uh, so is it anything wrong to be in sales? No, especially if you're doing it, of course, the right way. But for him, the Holy Spirit convicted him, he couldn't do that. But verse 25 said, but after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. The Holy Spirit takes you so much further than a tutor ever could. Right? The tutor is like, like our bus driver almost today. They'll take you to the school. Once you get to the school, someone else is in charge. We've got to the school. Now someone else is in charge, and it's Christ. It's the Holy Spirit. Amen? So I have a whole s- sermon on that with probably 20-something verses that show this. I don't have time for that today. But I, will go, I, will, I do feel like I need to preach that again to show some that may not have known that. But the second part I want to show that point out to you is the word handwriting here means what, what one has written by his own hand, a note in which one acknowledges that money has either been deposited with him or lent to him by another. So it was either money given to them or money that was owed to them. So like a receipt, like a receipt for something you paid for or like a bank statement for, for a loan statement if you have a mortgage or a car payment. You got something from the bank showing how much you owe. So guess which one this is referring to? A credit or a debit for a debt for our account? was in our account, right? It was a debt, right? So the note showed that we were in debt to God. And Jesus himself took that note and he nailed it to the cross and he canceled it. He canceled it. Look at how this is worded in the New American Standard Version. It says, Having canceled the certificate of debt, consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Your debt has been paid, and it's nailed to the cross of Jesus. All of it. Your penance, your works, your volunteering for this or that, trying to earn something, is frustrating the grace of God because he's already paid for it. He already took it out of the way, and he nailed it to the cross. You want to volunteer? You want to serve? You want to give? Do it. There's, do it by the Holy Spirit. Don't do it out of fear and guilt that you might not be saved. You can't earn your salvation. It's been paid for. It's the debt's been removed. Amen? It's been removed. It's been paid. 
And I feel it's been overpaid, amen? Jesus made an overpayment. One drop of his blood would have been enough, and he let all of his blood be spilled out for us to pay it all. But your debt, your sin, the stuff you've done, stuff you knew you were supposed to do that you didn't do, it was already nailed to the cross before you were even born. When we pick up our sin, when we battle with our sin and not recognize it's out of the way and stuff, when we do that, we are disarming the devil all over again. Because Jesus disarming the devil and principalities and powers was directly connected to our forgiveness. Directly connected to our, our debt being forgiven. The, the devil was accused of the brother, and he, is accused, he says, God, you see what he did? You see what Job did? You see what Moses did? You see what Joseph did? You see what this guy did and that guy did? And now he said, it's canceled. <laughs> cancel, cancel. It's canceled. It's canceled out of the way. And when we don't understand that it, our debt has been paid and canceled, our, it's, our debt's been wiped away, we are dishonoring the work of the cross. We may not say it with our mouth, but in our actual, what we're actually doing, we're dishonoring the work of Jesus that he already paid for by still dabbling in and entertaining our thoughts of, oh, maybe I need to do this to fix this, or maybe do this. Now, if God leads you to go be reconciled to somebody or make, uh, make amends to somebody, if you've done somebody wrong, that's another whole topic, and, and the Bible talks about that. Go and make it right with them if you can. But I'm talking about stuff you, you've already, you did in high school, you did whatever it was, it's paid for. Yeah. It's taken out of the way. Stuff that was done to you, stuff that you did, stuff that was in your generational family tree, the squirrels and the nuts that were shaken out of the tree, whatever, the, it's all been taken care of by the cross and blood of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen? Amen. It's out of the way. So, but even though the devil's now powerless and ineffective, he still has these plots and plans and schemes where he tries to bring like attack our lives. And these attacks come in various ways, and, and we've, we've experienced many of them. I'm going to show you some of these now. This is part three. Examples of battles that we face. Now, uh, there are many different types of battles that we face, and we don't fight every battle in the same way. Some examples are the battle could be against your giftings, your calling, and your destiny. God has a plan for your life, something you're called to do since you were a child. Before you're even in your mother's womb, he has a destiny, a plan for your life. And it's part of our responsibility as sons and daughters of God to find out what that is, okay? But the devil doesn't want you to find out what that is. And he has battles, schemes, and strategies trying to make sure you don't find out what that is, okay? The battle could be against your faith and your salvation, which we mentioned a few weeks ago. The battle could be some kind of spiritual assignment against your life or in your generational line. Like if, a, if you look at a family and there's a lot of sexual sin in that family, there could be a sexual demonic assignment on that family. And it's going to stay on that family until somebody steps up and breaks the power of that demonic assignment. You can see that. You look at family, it's not just that they're just bent that way. They're just, this family's just that way. This family's just that way. There's a spiritual assignment that comes on families that had to be broken. So that stuff changes. Amen? The battle could be against our minds with tormenting thoughts which could be anything from nightmares to uh, just fearful imaginations and things. It could be a battle against our mind. The battle could be against our wills with uh, a temptation to sin, definitely part of our battle. The battle could be against our emotions with negative feelings like self-hatred and things like that. It's against our feelings, self-hatred or bitterness or envy or, or critical spirit or judgment or judgmental thoughts and just your, uh, it can make you feel very hateful. And not just you hate yourself, but you hate other people. Now, I'm not, not saying this stuff and making this stuff up. We deal with this kind of stuff in Sozo weekly. 
where a lot of people come through, and it's the inner healing ministry that we do, and they don't realize it at first, but when they get down through it and God starts working with them, they realize, man, I hate myself. There's something about them, either something that they did or something that was done to them that they hate. And the devil tricked them into believing it's you, it's you, it's you, like that shame thing I talked about weeks ago. It's you, it's you, it's you. It makes you feel like you hate yourself. And so they go through life deep down hating themselves. You can't, don't take my picture, I don't look good. Don't do, don't do this, don't do that. Don't do and they, there's something about their life that they hate. I hate my ears, I hate my nose, I hate this. And really it's not about their nose, their ears, or something else. it's something deeper down inside their heart that they don't like. And so they need healing in this area. And there's assignments of the enemy that come against that and cause us to hate ourselves and hate other people. Okay? Um, the battle could be against our body with some type of physical sickness. And the battle could be against our relationships. So, if we, in, and also, on top of the, add all that together, if you didn't win the last battle, you could still be in this battle. Now you could have a compound battle because you're fighting this one, this one, and this one at the same time. And I have an example of that at the end of this message. So, today we're going to look at a few of these battles and see how to fight these different battles. So, the first example is a, a battle against your giftings, your callings, and your destiny. If the enemy, the enemy's trying to make you feel like God's plan will not come to pass in your life. You've sinned too much. You didn't study your Bible enough. You didn't pray enough. You didn't this enough. You didn't that enough. You didn't marry the right person. You didn't live in the right town. You didn't go to the right Bible college. You didn't do whatever. You're a, you're a female. You're a whatever. Whatever the, whatever the stuff comes from, whatever the lie comes from that tries to disqualify you from the calling that God spoke over your life, he's trying to make you doubt, doubt this so you won't walk in it. That's why the Jesus said the laborers are few. He didn't say that. He said he called a whole bunch, but he said the laborers are few. And a lot of them have been deceived into a long life's way of not going into what God asked them to do. So how do you fight this? I'll show you. First Timothy 1 Timothy 1.18. It says, This charge or command I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. Okay, I need you to look at that for a minute. And what is the them? That by them you may wage the good warfare. I'm not an English person. I guess I speak it sometimes, but I'm not a major. I'm learning how, just how bad I am at it through this book process. Man, it's painful sometimes. <laughs> like, oops. <laughs> like, yeah, anyway. But what is the them referring to in this verse? That by them you may wage a good warfare. That's kind of important to know what the them is there. Because it's connected to the good warfare. What is it? The prophecies, right? So the prophecies previously made to Timothy, that him doing something with those prophecies is going to help him wage a good warfare. Not just a warfare, but a good warfare. So when you, we have to remember, rehearse, and recite the, pre, the prophecies previously made over your life. It doesn't matter if it was a prophecy you received at birth or it was you were a young child or whatever. God's gifts and callings are without repentance. If he spoke it over your life, that's what he called you, called you to do. That word is still good. It's still valid over you. It didn't matter if you went into this like Moses did and he went way out of the way and killed somebody. Did it, the, the calling on his life still came to pass. didn't start till he was 80, some of those things, but it still came to pass. So what we have to do is take the words that God spoke over your life, even if you only have one, and recite it rehearse it, remember it, confess it out of your mouth. And by doing that, by remembering that, you are fighting a good warfare against your calling and destiny of your life. Amen? So um, I'm going to give you an example of one of mine. I received back in 2011. We went to Chicago for uh, a trip. 
bunch of you were there. Gerald Susan, you went on the hot bus ride. And uh, we had a church bus then. We had it serviced and fixed and the AC fixed. And by the time we got to John City, it already died. We spent hundreds of dollars getting that thing fixed. It was dead already by John City. And Gerald had some kind of thermometer thing with him. And it was over 100 degrees in the bus. I mean, in the bus. And so there was people like... We stopped and bought the little plug-ins, the cigarette lighter chargers, and little fans that blow on us and stuff. It was, it was a brutal ride, but we still had fun. But anyway, we went there. It was Bill Johns was there. Reinhard Bunky was there. A whole bunch of people were there. It was awesome. It was back in August, uh, no, June 11th of, uh, August, of, sorry, August 6th, 2011. So I got my Canadian month and date thing mixed up because Canada, the month is, anyway, the month and date's mixed. So during one of the concerts, I felt like God wanted me to not go to this concert, but go to the prayer room and just pray. So I went to this room for prayer. I just got quiet, and I was praying. And I saw this guy a little ways away from me, and I felt like the Lord said, pray for that man over there. So I went over and prayed for him, and I didn't know this guy was a minister in a pretty big ministry connected to Bethel somehow. His name's Ben. I don't know his last name. But after I prayed for him, he prayed for me. And this is what he said to me, and this really helped me because at this time, August 2011, I had just become pastor. I've been pastor for less than five months here. I was youth pastor before that, and it was a challenging season because some people weren't as excited about it, me becoming pastor as others, and they left. And so they left, and then uh, all the Crossner kids left because of a different reason. And so we were dwelling down to, I don't even remember the numbers, but they were getting low. And before the vote, I was wondering, I, was, I remember praying one day, like, God, is there going to be anybody left by the time you make me the pastor of this church? I mean, it just really it felt like that. But here's what he said to me. Didn't know me at all. I only met him that one time. He said, you feel like you have been thrown into the deep end of the pool, and all you know how to do is a doggy paddle. I was like, man, was that ever a great description? <laughs> That's exactly what I was feeling. But he said, but after some time, you'll be taking long, smooth strokes and making good time progress. After some time, you will become an expert, expert swimmer for the Lord. I also see a second income coming to bless your family that will help provide everything that you need. I see you raising up an end-time army of young people willing to go out and take ground for the Lord. I also see you training and sending older people as well uh, to the nations. Your church will be a hub station, a center to the nations. In years to come, your church will double, triple, quadruple, and even more in size, not because of gimmicks, but because of the Holy Spirit's power. I myself will draw them, and you and the people will love them. So on days, I was feeling discouraged about my doggy paddle and trying to stay afloat and know what to do and try to, what in the world am I going to preach on every single Sunday? Back then, actually, it was easier because Wally helped me a lot, and Adger was still helping to preach some then. But even then, it was still like, I felt like, man, that's a lot of words because youth every week, and then that, it was just, I was, there was a lot of different challenges, but anyway, that word has encouraged me a lot over the years, not just with um, the doggy paddle, but also the second job that's happened, how I got a job teaching, which helped us a lot, and then the end-time army stuff, that, that stuff was giving me something to look forward to going forward, so I, I don't remember how many times I've read this, prayed over this, thought about this, I believe the end-time army and that the last part of those prophetic word is all about what's happening right now, right now. Uh, I see you raise up an end-time army of young people willing to go out and take ground for the Lord. And, um, and also uh, about send elder, other people to the nations and different things like a hub and stuff like that. All those things are stuff that God's wanting to do right now. But how do I, how do you get strong in those things? I have to remember them. He could have said that to me one time. So, and I was like, hey, do you have good prayer time? Yeah, it was good. Met some guy named Ben. And then that would be the end of it. And guess what? The word that he gave 
just went out one ear, in one ear, and out the other, and I just let it go. I didn't honor the word that was given me. But I went to quickly wrote this down, and, and I read it again and again and again. And in your life, there's going to be battles and be challenges that's going to question the calling destiny that God set on your life. Look at Joseph's life. Was it questioned? Was it challenged? What he heard at 17 versus what he heard at 20 when he's locked up in prison and he's a slave? Yeah, the word of the Lord will be tested in your life. But how do you stay strong in his word is remembering the word that he spoke over your life. Yeah. Now, I just want to say to you guys, if you've never had a prophetic word over your life, or if you had one, you let it go, you can't remember it, I want you to please come and tell me, and we will have a night service here, maybe, a, maybe tonight, I don't know, what, some night we'll have a night. We just, the whole night, just worship and prophesy over people that are here. Because God wants you to have these prophecies as weapons of warfare to help you wage warfare against the calling and destiny on your life. How do you do that if you don't have any? Amen? That's why we need to be prophetic people because gift of prophecy is to edify, encourage, and comfort. And we all need that at different times of our life, different seasons that we go through, different challenging times. And if you don't have something to pull back on and draw strength from, uh, it, it, can be, it can hurt you. So if you haven't ever received one, or if you have, you don't remember it, let me know. And one Sunday night, uh, we will have uh, a team of people here that we've uh, have received training, and we will prophesy over you and declare God's favor and good things over your life. Amen. Amen. All right, that's the first example. Second example is a battle against our emotions. Uh, how we battle our emotions isn't necessarily the same as how we battle against our destiny. Uh, remembering a prophecy previously made again, uh, made for you may or may not affect your emotions one way or the other. Because when it's a prophecy that's ten years out, you might be like. Uh, when is that ever going to happen? So that might even discourage you some. But in this battle, I'm thinking of Isaiah 61.3. It says that God has given us a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Sometimes there's just a demonic presence that tries to come on you. You could be driving through a town. You could be at home. There could be whatever. There could be witches and warlocks or who knows what, cursing your family, a curse of your life, and you just feel like heaviness on you. Well, guess what? The Bible has a solution for that, and it's called the garment of praise. And you have to put it on. And sometimes you don't feel like putting it on. Sometimes you feel like laying down and eating food and eating ice cream or watching a movie or putting on Netflix or whatever. If you have that heaviness on your heart, you need to do something to shake that thing off of you. And to the degree and the level you feel the oppression, the heaviness, is to the degree and the level that you have to get your praise on. You may have to shut the door and say, okay, honey, I'll be out in a minute. Don't come in this room. I'm going to lock the door. I've got, got some business to do. And you don't want them to see you get your jig on or your worship on. You want them to get undignified like David, whatever you're going to do. Do it with the door shut, with it locked, whatever. <laughs> That'd be good. But anyway, um, we need to get our praise on because praise is a weapon. Praise is a weapon. It's just not, we just don't do it because God's worthy. God doesn't say praise ye the Lord just because he's worthy. He wants you to praise the Lord because it does something in your spirit, man. It does something in your soul, man, something in your flesh when we give God praise, amen, especially when we don't feel like it. In Second Chronicles 20, uh, a great multitude of three nations came against Jehoshaphat and the people of Jerusalem. And Jehoshaphat sought the Lord, and they declared a fast. They were greatly outnumbered. With all their soldiers and weapons, there was no way without God's help they were going to win this war. I want to show you what happened here, 2 Chronicles 20, 15 through 17. Listen, all you of Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem, and you, King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. They will surely come up by the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight this in this battle, 
position yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. Now I'm telling you what, if we had a prophet stand up in this house and say this to one of us, I'd be first to confess that I would be afraid. If there was some multitude coming from who knows where, against little plum tree area or whatever, uh, you know, I'd have to pray for a while to get fear off of me, would you not? This is a big deal. Men, women, and children, they're going to die. Unless God is something, there's no way they can win. So he says, don't worry about this. God's got this. You don't have to even fight. Just show up at the, the cliff as is. Show up there. Bring everybody out there and watch what God does. Stand there. Position yourself. And you, you're, you would really question your, your pastor or your leader's ability to hear God on this. We don't need to stand there. We need tanks. I mean, we need like... We need, like, machine guns. We need, like, serious stuff. We don't need to stand there. Why, why, we at least hide behind doors and delay our deaths. But, um, and you know what? I bet you anything some of them felt that way because they're human. Let's see what they did. So early, they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went out, Jehoshaphat said, stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe his prophets and you shall prosper. What's he referring to? The word that was just spoken in the three verses I just read before that. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who, would, who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and were saying, Praise the Lord, his mercy endures forever. So they went out to the cliff of Ziz. They're standing there and he put the worshipers out front and they're going first. I bet you anything you wouldn't have as many people trying to sign up for the worship team on that day as they do nowadays, right? On that day, like, I think I'll skip this week. I think someone else wants to sub for me this week. I think I don't want to play the drums or anything. I'll just stay. I got, I got little kids I got to watch. So I'm not, I don't think I'm going to do that. So, um, but uh, they didn't know what was going to happen. They didn't have any weapons. They didn't know. There was no way possible in the natural they could win this war. No way. Three kingdoms coming against them. But God, God told them to praise. He said, go out to that spot, stand right there, position yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you. You better hope he's with you right then, right? You got to know he's with you because it's, it's life or death. You're going to die if this doesn't work out. So when King Jehoshaphat told the people to give praise to the Lord and go out to that place, do you think that all of them 100% felt like doing that? His fellow, oh, yay, goody, we get to praise Jesus. We're going to go out and praise the Lord out here while these people are coming at us with swords and spears and whatever else they have slingshots so in the natural they were about to die men women and children at that moment there was not anything that positive have that happened yet nothing that they could see that was going to uh, help them one way or the other in this battle but they went out praising the lord and to their credit they did it they marched they praised they gave a sacrifice and praise and sang praise the lord his mercy endures forever you know, the same thing will happen in our lives. You may not feel like praising the Lord all the time. You may come, on, even on Sundays sometimes, you might not get there to the third or fourth song or something. You may not feel like it. You might feel afraid. You might feel weary. You might feel heavy. You might feel tired. You might feel like, I wish I slept in. I didn't really want to come. Why did mom and dad make me go to church? Oh, I'm tired. Whatever it is you're feeling. But uh, I wasn't thinking of anybody. I just say the same. But... Uh, but even when you don't feel like it, we need to put on the garment of praise against that spirit of heaviness. 
You have to put it on. You have to do it on purpose, intentionally. It's not going to just happen. We need to be like David did when he said in Psalm 103, praise the Lord, my soul. He speaks, praise the Lord. He didn't feel like it at that moment. He probably, maybe he was afraid of one of the many battles he was in. Maybe, maybe it was the day Saul was trying to kill him or whatever. He said, praise the Lord, my soul, and all my inmost being, praise his holy name. He's telling himself what to do. And sometimes we have to do that. You're not going to always feel like praising God, amen? You're just not. You, but you can't wait till everything's going perfect and they played your favorite four songs and whatever they, and the, your favorite person did a solo or whatever it is or your favorite song on iTunes or whatever you listen to, Spotify or whatever. You have to decide, I'm going to praise Jesus whether the person sings at a tune or they sing every song you don't know or you don't like it. You're going to praise, you put on that garment no matter what. He said, praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name, praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. So he tells himself to praise the Lord, then he starts remembering the goodness of God. So you may not feel like it, praising God sometimes. You may be focused more on this went wrong in your life, and that went wrong, and this happened that you didn't want to do it, and whatever. But I'm telling you, there's something you need to do uh, to get that off of you, is praise God. Your life's not as bad as you sometimes feel it is. You got it way better than most of the world does. Amen, you just do. Yeah, we got things we can complain about. There's always something to complain about, amen? It's all, it doesn't matter who's in charge, who's not in charge. We're always going to have something to pr- complain about, the weather or anything. But we can always have something to praise God for, too. Right. Hebrews thirteen fifteen says, Therefore, by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Continually offer a what? A sacrifice of praise. Meaning you probably don't feel like it. You know, the lambs that were slaughtered, I doubt any of them really felt like being slaughtered on any given day. And they probably resisted and fought to try to get away from the shepherd or the priest that was going to kill them. Okay? Some days you're not going to feel like praising God, but you need to do it anyway. And stuff inside you that feels cruddy, junky, yucky, icky, whatever, is going to lift off of you. It's going to lift off of you. That's why he gave you that garment, is to get your praise on, amen? So um, if you can't think of anything to praise God for, you can read Psalm 150. It says, praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty firmament, or heavens. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. I love that line. Praise him for the sound, with the sound of a trumpet. Praise him with the lute and the harp. Praise him with a timbrel and dance. Praise him with stringed instruments and flutes. Praise him with loud cymbals. Praise him with clashing cymbals. With a drum shield, maybe, but uh, <laughs> with loud clashing cymbals, anyway. Uh, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, or another translation says, Hallelujah to the Lord. So sometimes you don't feel it, get the Word of God out and read it. Praise the Lord. So look at what happened when the Israelites began to praise. Verse 22. And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes, plural, against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, and they were defeated. When did the ambushes start to happen? When they opened their mouth to praise. Not before, not before. When they opened their mouth to praise, they might not have felt like it. They may have been afraid. They may have been tormented, scared to death that they're going to die. But when they begin to sing, when they begin to praise, the Lord set ambushes against their enemies, and he'll do the same thing for you. When you begin to praise, the Lord has set an ambush against your enemy. 
And I'm not talking about your neighbors, your, your mother-in-law, or anybody else. I'm talking about the enemy, the, the devil. He will set an ambush, a trick for him to get him tricked in something, and he will be defeated in what the, the attack he's trying to bring in your life. You know what happened after all that? It took them three days just to collect the spoils from winning that war. And they didn't do anything. All they did was praise the Lord. Praise Him for His excellent greatness. Praise Him. So when we don't feel like praising God, sometimes we need to get our garment of praise on against that spirit of heaviness. Amen? Amen. Amen. I got one more for you guys. You got one more in you? Okay. This last example is a combo battle that I personally faced in 1999. It's a personal battle against my will, the temptation to sin. It was a personal battle against my calling and our destiny of our family and a, 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 a battle against my family and against my marriage, all going on at the same time. And I didn't have the training I have now. I didn't have the friends I have now around me. I, didn't, I felt really alone, really. And I didn't know how we were going to get through this. It was really hard. In 1999... We were working at Crossnore, and I was really struggling emotionally. Didn't know what was going on. I was it was under spiritual attack, and I did just I did I was unaware. Holly was pregnant with Taylor, our second son, and uh, her parents were pressuring us to move back to Canada to help run the Christian bookstore there. And my brother was trying to pressure me to join the Salvation Army so we could do stuff together there. And I'm thanking God today I didn't do either one of those. Just saying uh, because I wasn't called to do either one of those. I was called to be here. I didn't even met Plumtree. I didn't even know this place existed at the time. But anyway, um, so we had decided to move back home to Canada. We were going to work at the book, bookstore. We were going to live in Holly's parents' basement for a while and fix up the basement a little bit. It's hilarious now to think about, but we, that's really what we were talking about doing. And then we were going to look for a house to live and stuff like that. So I was feeling a lot of pressure. I was confused. I was weary. And Holly and I were having unpleasant arguments and fighting. It wasn't normal for us. It, just, it was tension. It just... I was feeling this heaviness on me, and I felt really low and depressed, and I just didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't know it was a spiritual battle. I just thought I was afraid of making the wrong choice, afraid of doing the wrong thing. It was during this time that I was tempted to look at pornography, and I, uh, I was asked to check a computer at Crossnor at work because I was pretty good at computers, check it to see if these kids had been looking at porn. So I went to go check this computer to see if, if they had been looking on it, and they had. Of course they had, and uh, so I found it, deleted it, told them, and did the report and everything, but I saw it. I saw it. I didn't, like, stare at it and whatever, but I saw it. I hit delete and erase everything as fast as I could. I really did, and, um, but I saw it. So then later, those thoughts start coming back to your mind and your, your imagination. I won't show any hands here, because anyway, but uh, some of you guys have experienced this. You saw it one time for a second, and all of a sudden, it, where do you think that, that image is coming from? It's not your subconscious, okay? It's directly from hell. Amen. It's the devil for sure. So this is the entry point for pornography for me, and I started dabbling a little here, a little there. Holly go to bed early. She was tired because she's pregnant. I look at some things online that I definitely knew I shouldn't d- be looking at, but I was discouraged. I felt depressed and defeated. Didn't know I really was any of those things. I was knew it was wrong, but I felt so low. I, in some way, I didn't totally care. I was just frustrated. I was just like, ah, oh, I was just frustrated had nothing to do with uh, wanting to see someone prettier than Holly. or anything. It had nothing to do with that in my mind. It was just I was tempted, and I was annoyed, and I was frustrated. I was angry. I didn't know what was going on. Anyway, I told her, and that went as about as well as you guys can expect. It was She was, of course, upset and hurt feelings and thought I wanted to, thought, I thought these girls were prettier than her and all this kind of stuff, and it wasn't that. It was just a demonic attack against me. It was, it was, it was big. So anyway, um, 
I, I didn't really understand how big the attack was. But anyway, one day I was playing basketball. You guys heard me say this before, but it's just, it just stood out, stands out to me so real at the moment. I had a breakaway layup. It was across our gym. Breakaway layup, and I missed it. I mean, it was no one near me, no one trying to block me, no one in the way. It was like I had half court all the way, no one near me, and I just missed it. I don't even think I even hit the rim on it. I hit the back one, it bounced straight back to me. And one of my friends just grabbed me like this, said, what is wrong with you, shaking me like that? I'm like, I don't know. But it was right then, like, there's something really wrong with me. Like, it wasn't just basketball. It was affecting every area of my life. So I went to my pastor. I didn't tell him about the porn stuff. I just told him I was struggling with some things and asked him to pray for me. This is in Boone. And he prayed for me, and something lifted off of me. But I, I think it was depression, but the battle wasn't over yet because there's a multi-battle multi going on at the same time. I didn't win this battle or this battle, and I had a combo battle going on against me. So I um, didn't feel all the way back to normal yet, I st I st but I started to battle this temptation. I think I told a friend of mine, and he gave me some, some uh, teaching tapes to listen to, some different stuff to listen to. But I started battling this temptation with the sword of the Spirit. Okay? It was different than the other ones, but I started battling with the sword. So two scriptures stood out to me that I was reading the book of Psalms. And if you are battling this, I want to tell you there's no shame, but you can be absolutely delivered. Yeah. I don't mean just so you're doing better, so you're only looking at it once a week versus five or six. I mean delivered, totally set free, where it's the temptation is actually destroyed in your life. I mean destroyed. I mean totally destroyed. So I got these verses in my heart. I started reading this, Psalm 101, 3 and 4. I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. A perverse heart shall depart from me. I will not, be, I will not know wickedness. Other verses say worthlessness, evil, or vile, different translations of that word. But um, I made a confession out of these two scriptures, and I started saying all the time throughout the day, just in my heart, all the, especially when I felt a temptation, I'd say, I will put no vile thing in front of my eyes, and a perverse heart shall depart from me. Because the more I looked, the more I wanted to look. And the more my fingers started to like, almost like wiggle like this, I needed to click the mouse button. Like, oh, I wanted to click this or see this. And now today it's easier to see than it was back then, right on our phones and stuff. But the same sort of spirit that helped me in 1999 can help you if you're going through that today, if you do the same thing that I did, put the sword of spirit in your mouth. So it's, I, I made this confession, I'll put no vile thing in front of my eyes, a perverse heart shall depart from me. So every time I felt the temptation, other times when I wasn't even feeling the temptation, sometimes I wasn't even near a computer, I just in my heart, I, I just a thought came to me, that memory of what I saw came back to me in my head. I said, no, because it's imagination too, not just my eyes. I'll put no vile thing in front of my eyes, a perverse heart shall depart from me. And after a while I started saying, has departed from me. It could change to, it will to it has. And I don't remember how long it took me it was a week or two weeks or whatever it was. But someday, one day I woke up and I just knew that thing is dead. It just got slayed by the sword of spirit is dead. I didn't feel like I needed to confess the scripture anymore, even though I did still from time to time. But it was absolutely dead. I felt like I, felt like I couldn't even be tempted with that anymore. It felt like it was impossible to be tempted. It felt like, I mean, I'd have, I feel, have a feeling like the devil's trying to tempt me there. I could honestly laugh at it like, whatever, dude. That is so dead. Count myself dead to sin and alive to Christ. It was so dead. And I'm telling you, that's the power of the sword of the Spirit when it comes out of your mouth. That's what we're talking about, this spiritual warfare and how to fight. And you have to fight the good fight with faith. And it's faith in what God's Word says. Amen. 
So if you're going through something like that, guys, don't just think you're going to overcome it with willpower. Just don't think you're going to overcome it by throwing away your computer or getting all these expensive blocks and all these expensive things that don't totally work. Because if you really want to look at it, you can see it. All right? And even when you don't want to look at it, you'll sometimes see it. Because I saw stuff accidentally. I went to a, a Disney site one time, and it wasn't the right Disney site. And it wasn't Walt Disney on there. And I got off it really quick. But the, the devil has ways to try to make us see stuff that, that you're not supposed to see. Okay? It doesn't do you any good. And uh, people have been really wounded through this thing, but I'm telling you there's hope and deliverance in the name of Jesus with the sword of spirit coming out of your mouth. But you have to do it on purpose. Like Mark was talking about, you have to, be, uh, you have to do it intentionally. Intentionally let this come out of your mouth. So, so that was a good victory. Yeah, but the battle wasn't over yet. There was still more to it. Holly and I had already resigned from our jobs. Uh, we had a U-Haul truck already booked. Holly's mother had flown down from, uh, yeah, down from Canada. I was getting my ups and downs mixed up sometimes but <laughs> with uh, Canada and America, but flew down south to here to help us pack and stuff. And uh, we are packing up boxes, and I, I still felt, I mean, you know, I was set free from porn and uh, felt like the depression thing kind of lifted off me. I still just felt like I wasn't back to myself. I didn't feel normal yet. And uh, that night we were tired, relaxed, and the kids were already asleep. And, we, and some of you heard this before, but we were watching a Disney movie back when, well, anyway, it was a Disney movie. Back when it was the wonderful world of Disney. <laughs> but anyway, but uh, in this movie, this 30-year-old man didn't have a family. It was close to Christmas time. This 30-year-old man didn't have a family, and he worked for an adoption agency, but he had no family of his own. And in this movie, this family adopted this 30-year-old man. And here we are working at a children's home, taking care of, you know, kids been taken from their parents, and it really was touching my heart, and I was crying watching this movie. And during this movie... God can work through all things, amen, praise God. Even Disney, praise God, he can. But he said, I said to Holly, I don't want to leave Crossnar. And she looked at me and goes, I don't want to either. I'm like, why are we doing this then? Why, what are we doing? And like, so you don't want to leave? No, nope, I don't want to leave. Let's not leave. And I was like sitting over the corner, no! <laughs> like, oh, like she, already, she wanted, of course, her grandbabies and everybody home. So um, anyway, uh, in that moment, my normal came back right then. As soon as we decided we're not leaving, I called my boss the next day, said, hey, is it okay to get back on the schedule? We don't, we don't want to leave anymore. She goes, we'll do it right away. And uh, canceled the U-Haul. And, uh, of course, her mom was sad and stuff, but we weren't supposed to leave yet. And so something about the pressure of people, of family wanting us to do this, and they were afraid of our kids being hurt across North, or some kids abusing them physically or sexually or something. They didn't want our young kids around them and stuff like that. But when you're, when you're where you're called to be, your kids are protected. Amen. Your kids are protected. Your kid, and it's where we were supposed to be. And even when we first moved here in 1998 to the mountains, I knew in my heart I'm here for more than just the children's home. I knew in my heart there was a church I was going to connect with one day. I had no idea where it was. or I just knew it. I went looking for it, but I couldn't find it. I couldn't find it. I mean, I tried hard. I could not find it. I just, and anyway, I definitely did not look here either because it had Presbyterian on the sign. And I just thought there's no way this could be my, my place. And, uh, but you know what? God knows better than we do. He's smarter than us. He knows. But part of the way the entry point to those things happened is when I stepped out of the will of God without even knowing it by deciding to move back to Canada when I wasn't supposed to. We didn't, we weren't out blatantly sinning. We weren't out doing this and that. We just made a decision from pressure and based on what we thought was probably best for our kids or we need to listen to our counsel and advice and stuff like that. But it was the wrong decision. And that opened the door to depression. That opened the door to then 
pornography, that opened the door to other temptations, us fighting and stuff, and it all happened by making the wrong choice of what we're supposed to do and where we're supposed to be. So you see the fight sometimes is multi-layered, this combo fights, and it can be deceptive, we can be easily tricked, but there's different ways to fight in those battles. And once we knew we were supposed to stay, we stayed, and praise God we did, because I wouldn't have got to meet any of you guys. We didn't know Debbie then, didn't know Mark and Laura then, didn't know you guys, any of you guys. And I'm very glad that we stayed. Amen. So, um, so maybe today you're battling against your gifts and callings, your destiny. Or maybe you're just not sure what that is. It's worth the time and the investment to find out from the Lord what it is. I don't care if you're 80 like Moses was. I don't care if you're 17 or you're a young, young, young person, whatever. You need to know why you're on this earth what you were born to do. You'll never feel the satisfaction of your heart until you're doing the exact thing that God has destined you to do. And maybe you're battling with your emotions, or maybe you're engaged in a combo battle like I was in multiple things. Whatever the case may be, you're called to fight, and we are called to win. And I'm telling you, if you don't know what to do, I've been trained since then. I'm not gonna, I don't fall for the same tricks I used to fall for back then. I have a, I'm a smarter spiritual IQ, if you will, from experience and, and different things I've studied and things God's showed me. And we can help you as a church body to help you get out of some of that stuff and get free and delivered and get on the right path to find out what you're here on this earth for, what you're called to do. We can fight the good fight of faith as a family, as a community. But in order to do that, guess what? You're going to have to bring your stuff sometimes out in the open. I'm not talking about confessing all your stuff or whatever, but if you're struggling with porn, guess what? You can come to me and tell me, and I'm not going to announce it from the speakers. I'm not going to pull you up from the front and make you confess it to the whole place. I'm going to tell you the same thing I'm telling you right now and help you fight the good fight of faith. And once in a while, I'll call and check, hey, how are you doing with this? Are you speaking the word? Are you confessing the word? Are you doing this? Because guess what? If you're not battling now, you might later. And so, I'm not speaking as a word curse, but you might. I hope you don't. But there's a way to win. It's with the word of God. And if we come together, the reason we can't come together is when we're legalistic about sin, and we're legalistic about the truth of this becomes more important than the grace of this, and grace and truth, are, are they both came through Jesus. Amen? We have to bring grace to the people, help them with the grace and truth of Jesus to help us to bring them into freedom. So I want an invitation to anyone here you're battling with some kind of sin, whether it's porn or something else, you can come to me and I'm not going to judge you. You can't believe the stuff I've heard before. You, you, you would, your brain would not imagine the stuff, honestly, that I've heard. And I wish I never heard, honestly, some of it. But by the grace of God, he helps me uh, forget a lot of it. But your sin is not going to scare me. Your sin is not going to scare Jesus, but he wants you delivered and set free from it. And as long as you're still stuck in it, you're going to be battling it, tormented, ashamed, and all the things Jesus wiped away and paid for, you're still empowering the devil with those things, not realizing it's already paid. It's already wiped away. It's gone. It's removed from you. It's nailed to the cross, and you're set free from it. But if you still hold it and hide it, it isn't going to help you. Bring it out into the light, like the Bible talks about. Bring it out in the light. Tell somebody that will not gossip about it, but will help you get set free and delivered from what you're battling. Amen? Because your battle is not against flesh and blood. You may not have the training or discernment yet, but there's friends around you that do. Amen.